Philippians chapter 3. Please stand with me as we read the Word of God. 3.17 Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform your lo- our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. I want to start off with a question, a question that I would like you to truthfully consider. Are you a consumer or are you a disciple? Obviously, it's a loaded question. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to share a little bit uh, of why we're going to go in this direction today. Uh, as uh, going through the church planning process, asking the Lord where he would send us, uh, my wife and I went to uh, a few conferences. We went to uh, North American Mission Board in Atlanta. We also went to uh, uh, Acts 29. Jo- uh, Pastor Josh and I went to an Acts 29 conference in Dallas. Um, then, and since we've started, we also went to Acts 29 uh, church planning conferences in, in Nashville. And what's really funny is when we're, we're talking, rubbing elbows with people who love the Lord and want to see Christ glorified in their churches and in their communities and in their areas, they have such great stories to tell about where they minister. And often it, it, the conversation turns around to us and they say, hey, so uh, um, where, where's your church? Where do you guys minister? So naturally we say we, we serve a church in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. That's right between Destin and Panama City. And if anybody is anywhere east of Texas, everybody knows of Santa Rosa Beach. So what is their first response almost every time? They go, ah, must be nice. Suffering for Jesus on 30A, right? That, that's, that's what they say almost every time. Oh, suffering for Jesus, right? You might as well just be ministering in Hawaii. Um, well, it makes sense, though. It makes sense why they would say that. Everybody vacations here. But to a visitor, life along scenic Highway 30A and in Santa Rosa Beach seems amazing. It's idyllic. It's picturesque. It's, it's satisfying. So perhaps that's why so many people vacation here, like 4 million uh, every year in, the, in, in this panhandle area. And maybe that's why everybody uh, wants to move here. Sixth fastest growing county in America. What? People want that Instagram beach life, right? Okay, I'm the only one that notices this. Oh man, this is going to be a hard day. Everybody's like, oh, maybe that's why you have moved here. Maybe you have moved here because that's one of your things. You Maybe you went on vacation and you fell in love with the place and you're like, oh man, I want that. I want that beach life. That happened to me 10 years ago. I came down to work at a church in Destin and uh, it was, it was well, actually before that, I went on a spring break trip with some friends from Bible college. We came down here because a friend lived here, and then I came down to work at a church down here for a little bit and met my wife, who was born and raised here. She's a unicorn, and she's doing slides. What's up, babe? 
Uh, so she's one of the few uh, and the proud. But uh, maybe you are here because you vacationed and you fell in love with the place. It's awesome. That's cool. Um, however, some of you may be like me and have discovered something since moving here. Along this tranquil white sand beaches of 38, beneath the surface lies an ethos, a, a subculture, a mindset, if you will. A mindset that is, let me say very clearly, as we just read in Philippians, a mindset that is an enemy to the Christian life, an enemy to discipleship, and a serious enemy to the church. In fact, it's a mindset that places comfort above community, preference above covenants, and pleasure above calling. It is a mindset of consumerism. Of course, consumerism isn't unique to the area. You go all over the world and you'll find consumerism. It's national, it's global, but, but if I were pressed, and many of you know I've, I've traveled all over preaching the gospel and lived in many places, but if I were pressed, I would have to admit that this is one of the most dangerous and damning places I have ever been regarding spiritual consumerism. So, what is consumerism? On the surface, it is an economic term. Simply put, uh, from an economic standpoint, you are either a consumer or a producer in any given transaction. The American e uh, economy system should, uh, couldn't continue without people who are consuming goods and services. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because I don't think very many of you sewn your own clothes that you wore here today or people who grow your own crops or build your own car, etc. I mean, it's okay to consume items. Like w we would not have an economy, from an economic standpoint, we wouldn't have an economy if you're not buying things for your family or for yourself. But consider this. The world of producers know that the best way to keep growing and producing and keeping that profit margin up is to keep consumers consistently dissatisfied while temporarily happy. You hear that? Keeping consumers consistently dissatisfied while temporarily happy. Genuine contentment is an enemy to the machine, and it makes you an economic liability. Okay, so why am I saying all this? Aren't we in church? Yes, because the truth is where you live and how you live there affects you. It shapes you. Over time, marketing efforts, media inundation, and the sinful heart begin to adapt this mentality into our spiritual lives, not just our financial lives. If I were to use, borrow a term from Romans 12, our heart begins to conform to the pattern of the world. We, we are told so many times, that life is about our convenience, our happiness, and our prosperity. Then we start to believe it after told that over and over and over again. Eventually, the God of this age takes up residence on the throne in your heart, and the God of this age is hedonism. Hedonism, which is my happiness is the end all. Hedonism, self-worship. Biblical term for that is called idolatry. That takes up residence. We, we believe that. Uh, 
um, I sit on the throne or I am in the driver's seat. And Paul says uh, to the Christians here in uh, Philippi, your God is your belly, glorifying in shame, setting, or their God is their belly, glorifying in shame, setting your mind on earthly things. That's in verse 19. So when I refer to consumerism today, I'm not speaking of the economic term, okay? Do you follow? Because I'm going to use the word consumerism a lot. In light of that, I'm speaking about a heart condition. So, what is consumerism? We have a little slide. What is consumerism as it relates to my soul? Consumerism as it relates to a mindset of your soul, of your heart. Everything and everyone is weighed by what I stand to gain from it or them. Consumerism, relationships, things, all of it is weighed by how will this benefit me, make me happy, and how will I benefit from this situation. Consumerism, hedonism, self-worship. Truth is, Scripture is not silent on this issue of consumerism. In, in, in fact, or hedonism manifested in consumerism. In fact, there are four primary areas where Scripture uh, clearly discusses this. Four primary areas, and they go in, in, sequentially further and further away. And you'll see where the idol worship comes further and further. So it starts on the surface level with, number one, how a consuming heart relates to things. How a consuming heart relates to things, which is materialism. First John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. This is one that we could just completely just rattle off verse after verse after verse. We, we hear Jesus talking about this all the time. And Paul, and, and finances, finances, and finances. Be, be wary, be wary. Be on guard. When the world continually says that you need something bigger and you need th something better, it's hard not to be dissatisfied with what you have. Right? you watching a show. Hey, I want something bitter, bigger. I want something better. It's hard not to look at what you have and go, hmm, I don't, I don't have that. It's totally true. We become dissatisfied. Let me tell you, marketers know this condition in your heart. Marketers know this. Sociologists know this. If they can keep you in a state of hunger with temporary satisfaction, then they have job security. Nobody does this better than the company of Apple. <laughs> I'm totally saying that preaching from an iPad with an Apple watch on my phone, on my, on my wrist. I'm totally saying that because I, 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 I am a consumer as well when it comes to, to things. But th there's a difference. They flip the script. It's no longer, hey, this is a phone. It will make your life better. No, it, this, is a, this is a whole environment. This is a community of people. Come on in. By the way, we sell cell phones. It's a totally different paradigm. I need something bigger. I need something better. And then they slow down your devices so they make you buy another one. But have you, uh, often this is also manifested not just in how much we have of something, like how much money we have or how much we have, but, but what that something is. Name brands. Why do we definitely run towards a specific name brand? Have you ever met somebody who's so consumed with one thing, one name brand, you're just like, oh, they're obviously going to buy this, even though it's three times the price? Have you, uh, has that been you before? 
That desire of the flesh and, 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 and desire of the eyes is exactly what 1 John is referring to. But instead, we are called to be on guard. Luke 12, 15 says, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Whatever the case, this insatiable desire for more things ultimately masks our deep desire for God. We need God. And we don't even know it, so we try to fill it with things, with more things and the name brand things and the things that we think are going to satisfy, but it makes you hungry, more hungry. Be on guard. Whatever the case, this insatiable desire masks your need for God. Scripture after scripture deals with materialism and warning the listeners of being consumed with the desire for money and stuff. This isn't new, but it's the very thing that the enemy has a hold of in our own community of Santa Rosa Beach. Things, not just things, but experiences. Never been in a place where People would much rather spend hordes of money on experiences. It's, 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 it's a similar thing if that is where you find your happiness and that is where you find your fulfillment. First Timothy. Can you guys turn in your Bible to First Timothy? It's just a few books over to the right. First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy 6. We're going to start in verse 6. First Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will, be, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money as a root of all kinds of evils, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. How does a disciple combat this type of temptation? Paul says contentment, right? Godliness with contentment is great gain, but keep reading. Don't stop reading. Verse 11, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. He says, run, run away, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. How do you fight that temptation towards materialism? You run from it. When, whenever you just do whatever you can, when, set that boundary and then set it even further away. Run from the temptation of letting money rule in your heart. Run from it. Flee. You have to be proactive in this. Put it in your calendar. Be proactive in running from sin. This is the thing that they talk that the Bible talks about all over. It's gonna it's gonna uh, steer your heart a little bit away, a little bit away, and you'll drift and drift and drift. Brothers and sisters, ultimate satisfaction comes from Christ alone. Are you satisfied in Him? Is Jesus your treasure? Are your things 
tools for your walk with the Lord or traps of self-worship. I preached on that a year ago in Luke. Are, are your things tools for gospel proclamation for your walk with the Lord or are they traps for self-worship? Believe it or not, consumerism doesn't just affect our relationship to things and our relationship to money. It actually affects our relationship to people. So number two, how a consuming heart relates to people. This is individualism. When consumerism has a hold of your heart, even people are seen by what we stand to gain from them. Have you ever felt used at all? Used that somebody is getting close to you just because, you know, they can gain something from you? I have, and it's not a good place to be. But I have to admit, I have been close to people because of what it has said about me before. If we're going to be honest, if we're going to be honest, consumerism affects our relationships to others. Socioeconomic classes, people who have this type of money or they drive this type of thing or they, they, they like these type of activities, it's okay to have affinities and it's okay to have friendships. But favoritism, isn't that clearly prohibited in Scripture? We favor, we spend time and care with the ones who may benefit us, make us feel good about ourselves, or just benefit our bottom line. James preaches against favoritism. Jesus preaches against favoritism. Jesus breaks barriers when it comes to worth. In his context in the first century, Israelites, Greek, Romans, pagans, Egyptians, all of them lived with barriers in their, in their social classes. Barriers defined by race, defined by gender defined by economic status and Jesus comes onto the scene this little rabbi from from Galilee and he destroys these barriers he welcomed the sick he empowered the women he loved the sinners he ministered to the Romans he did not show partiality Jesus calls us to do the same in Philippians 2 3 through 4 do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. When do we start seeing others for how they benefit us? This happens in church. When do we start ministering to people who benefit us? Question. Who do you hang out with? Like, really? Really? You don't have to say it. <laughs> um, but who do you hang out with? Number three, how a consuming heart relates to the church. This has been huge in my heart. This hits dangerously close to home, and it's very evident in the panhandle. Utilitarianism. Utilitarianism. It's basically whatever it is, whatever the thing is, utilitarianism is, uh, it's only good as long as it fulfills your desires. Um, provides a utility, utilitarianism. So as it's only good as long as it fulfills your desires. So think about that in terms of church. Since ours is a culture committed to consumerism, if disciples are uh, disciples of Christ are n are not careful, even our churches will become nothing more than semi-sanctified microcosms of this culture. We will attend. A church when we want. We will define 
church in the way that we want. We will be accountable when we want. Submit authority to whom and when we want. And give when we want to whom we want. This is why you hear people relate churches to country clubs. But it isn't. This isn't what or how church was created to be. The local church is more than a place of networking. It's more than a place where you just come and do your good thing, right? The church is the gathering of the adopted sons and daughters of the Redeemer, the united household of God, the bride of Christ. So being together with a group of people that you may not even know, but you're digging in, you're getting to know them, and worshiping God pleases God. That is what church is. That's why some, some people in this room are driving from Fort Walton. Because it's good to be with people who proclaim the excellencies of God, preach the whole truth of Scripture, not skimp past it. Dying for community and to be right next to people and work in mission along next to people. That's what the church was designed to be. Ephesians 3.10 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church of God, the, the gathering of God's people, the bride of Christ, this is how we affect change in a world of consumers. When we rid ourselves of the temptation of idol worship, of self-worship, this is how we affect change. As David Platt writes in his book, Radical, the local church is not designed to be a luxury cruise liner, but a wartime troop carrier. Sadly, when looking at churches all over the world, and even in our areas, we've been duped. We treat the church as a vendor of goods and services provided. We treat pastors and elders as a vendor of goods and services provided. And the church exists to cater to my needs and my preferences and my comfort. You don't believe me? We have a euphemism that you all know. It's called church shopping, right? I've used it. I've used that word church shopping. Music, environment, programs, preacher's style, potential friends, preferences. All of them are weighed by how it benefits us and how we walk away with that, oh, that good feeling. Let's go get tacos. That's how, that's how we approach church. We church shop. Oh, that didn't hit me. Man, that hit, the, that hit the preaching of the Word of God, but it wasn't really there when it came to music. Oh, that music was awesome, but man, it was just, it wasn't, I didn't like the style. Naturally, when, we are, when you're moving to a new area, I want, I want you to church shop. I want you to ch- church shop, but f- with the right priorities. With the right priorities. Look for a church that preaches the whole Bible. I am, I am not a motivational speaker. I'm not here to make, make, try to help make your life better. I'm here to help you die well. That's my job. Okay? Look for a church that preaches the whole Bible and prepares you for the wrath of God and, and, and points to the hope that is in Christ Jesus and in the hope in Him alone. Go to a church like that, not one that feeds to your to your interests or, the, or feeds to your, to your belly. I want an experience, right? 
That's what we say. I want, I want a good experience. I want to walk, walk away feeling, yeah, that's great. Church shop for a church that is committed to preaching the whole Bible. Look for one that is robust in theology and low on experientialism. One that does hard things. One that does hard things. Willing to call one another out. Look for a church that cares less about your comfort and more about your passion for God and compassion for the loss. And look for one where you can devote to praying for and striving with in a bunker, on, on a warship, alongside people, through the good times and the hard times. We are not, we, we, are, we have not been a church that had desired to cater to preferences since the beginning. Look at the chairs you're sitting on. How uncomfortable are they? We walk in donkey poop. There, there was a dog that pooped upstairs on Easter Sunday. Yeah, everyone's like, can we move tomorrow? Like, can we leave, go... We're not moving because of all these, because uh, uh, we, we're worried that you guys aren't are feeling comfortable. We're, we're moving because we believe that the Lord has said our mission, our ability to impact this community is greater here. It's not about our comfort. We're going because we are on mission. What a consumer at church says is... My experience is more important than my devotion. My gifts are more important than my unity. My preference is more important than our mission. My participation is dependent upon my comfort, convenience, agreement, and accommodation. My participation is dependent upon my comfort, convenience, agreement, and commendation. Commendation. But a disciple flips all that on its head. As Paul says to Ephesians in 4, 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit of the, in the bond of peace. As the author in Hebrew writes, Chapter 10, 24 through 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to really good music. Yeah. To really good children's programs. To really good Bible studies. No. How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet with one another as it is the habit of some but eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unity, unity, unity. Unity looks at God and at others before it looks at yourself. Unity doesn't mean I need to find the people who agree 100% with me or, or, or agree to do things, the secondary issues, the, non, the tertiary issues. I need to find people who all the, believe the exact same. No, no, no. We, we, there are some foundational things that we need to believe in order to be a church of Jesus Christ, to be disciples. But, but unity doesn't mean finding your friends. It means striving alongside people and getting to know people while you are shoulder to shoulder. God calls us brothers and sisters in Christ's family, not objects of self-gratifications. 
Pastors are not working for members to please them, but are called to proclaim Christ's excellencies in the face of a culture that is increasingly hostile to Jesus and his disciples. So a question. How are you operating as a disciple within your church? If you're on vacation, I'm hitting you really hard between the eyes. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. What am I talking about? Is your time spent more on criticism or prayer? Question. How is your heart postured in each gathering? As you gather, how is your heart postured? One to receive or one to evaluate? Checklist. He said this, too many jokes, not enough illustrations. We never use videos. Or is it one to receive the word of God and worship alongside in unity? Another question, how is your participation in your local body influenced by consumerism? Are you volunteering to fill slots or are you serving and partnering in the little things, the things that nobody notices, so that as a whole we, we urge one another towards God's calling at Redeemer and your local church? And that leads to number four. I don't have to talk much on this because this is ultimately where consumerism leads. A consuming heart relating to Christ, which is idolatry. Frankly put, discipleship to Jesus and consumerism are incompatible. Do not be idolaters as uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 7, do not be idolaters as, as some were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Idolaters navel-gazing. Romans 1, uh, 18 through 25. Actually, I want to read that. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and, and ri- wickedness of men who suppress truth by their wickedness. But what can be made known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, these are people that know God, although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or gave thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up. Yes, God does that. He gives them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. This is where consumerism leads. I'm not saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't go out and get lunch. Don't go to H&M. Don't go to Apple. I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying you be wary because those those images on the screen, after a while, it can affect your heart. After a while, it can affect your worship. Be careful of what you gaze at. Be careful of what you allow into your home. Be careful of what you set your heart upon by moving to Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. You will not find satisfaction in the beach life. Hashtag 30A. 
You will not find satisfaction here. You will feel empty. And like many who I know have moved away because it is not all it's cracked up to be. It's not. There's satisfaction in one, one person, one thing. You won't feel more satisfied going to the beach every week. It's nice, but you won't be more satisfied. Matthew 16, this is, this is the antidote. This is, this is the medicine. This is the answer. What Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. You want to escape the trap of self-worship, of consumerism, of hedonism. Deny yourself. That's a discipline. Deny yourself. Deny yourself of an indulgence. Take up your cross, though, and bear the name of Jesus Christ more than you bear the name of Apple. So I ask once more, are you a consumer or are you a disciple? I pray, I pray that we are a church that does not fall victim to consuming. We do that. We, churches do that. And it's, it's such a temptation since being a, a pastor, uh, coming into an eldership where we lead the church as opposed to I, I've just been in youth ministry most of my life. I've been in missions most of my life. But coming into a, a, a role where we lead the church, there's a huge temptation to blow it out. Cater to comfort. Cater to your needs. Cater to your preference so that we get as many people as possible. That's a temptation. I need you to pray for the elders of this church that that doesn't happen. That we don't fall victim to that. We want to, if you don't know the Lord, I want you to fall in love with him. But scripture tells us that we don't have church services to cater to someone, make somebody who doesn't know the Lord feel comfortable. In fact, if you don't know the Lord, there are parts of the service where you should feel uncomfortable. We are new citizens. We're citizens of heaven. We should not be marked by the world. So, pray, pray that we don't fall victim to that or just try to make everybody feel comfortable. comfortable. I want to accommodate. I, wa- I, wanna, I wanna put our arms around people who don't know the Lord and we share the gospel and shoot, stay after on our fellowship meals and eat with us. And if it's not fellowship meal, come talk to us. We'll go to dinner, go to lunch. I want you to fall in love with the Lord, but the purpose of church is to glorify God by edifying the body and equipping the saints for ministry. It's not, this isn't the ministry. This is part of it. This is encouraging the body and equipping you for ministry. That's the point of church. And if you're church shopping at a place that doesn't preach that, don't take up residence there. Christ's call, this is the big idea, Christ's call to discipleship, Christ's call to unity, Christ's call to worship, commands the death of a consumeristic heart. Put it to death. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Christ. Put him on the throne of your life. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful for this body of believers who are encouraging one another. I thank you that we are a church that isn't perfect. I thank you that you are gracious and merciful. 
I thank you that you have been merciful to me, even right here as I've been speaking your word. I've been sick, and I didn't feel good, and I haven't even thought about that. And I'm not going to say that that's a coincidence. Lord, thank you. Thank you. I thank you for a church that leans into worship and glorifies you regardless of our experience or how we feel. Lord, may our devotion to you usher in your spirit and revival. Vive us, God. Give us eyes to see this world and what it's trying to do. Give us a heart of compassion for those around us. Give us a heart of compassion for our church. Lord, may we be a praying church, praying for one another too. As we talked about praying for, for the world, the, the nations last week, Lord, we also want to pray for one another in unity, God. Protect us as we proclaim your excellencies, as we bring others along this journey of discipleship into your marvelous light, God. We praise you. We glorify you. Thank you. Thank you. In your name, amen.